Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Peter Hart and I've been joined at my salubrious residence by Gary Bain, who's everybody's hero. And today we are doing very well timed, I think, very well timed for the anniversary. What are we doing? Uh, we're doing the uh, Lancashire landings at Gallipoli, otherwise known as W Beach, of the 25th of April, 1915. What's the date this is going out, Pete? Uh, about a week now, a bit later. <laughs> Did we forget to record it? No, well, we, we didn't want to detract from the uh, Anzacs uh, uh, commemorations. Oh, right. So we were being sensitive. No, we were being forgetful. Yeah, one of the two. Right, so set the scene. Well, the British landings at Hellis, uh, well, you, you know, they've been the, the subject of self-congratulatory myth-making ever since the 25th of April, 1915. You'll notice I'm getting the year right, Pete. Yeah. 1915. <laughs> now, <I'm> quite pressed. <laughs> the British knew that the Turks were expecting them at VNW Beach. This is in the, yeah, yeah. Well, they're the obvious points, aren't they? Yeah, and they were furthermore worried as to the reception they might get at the X, S and Y beaches. And we'll be coming back to this briefly, but the, the, there's five beaches we're landing. Plus, of course, then there's the, the uh, Anzac landing, the, uh, the uh, French landing at Kumkali, the French diversion at Bazika Bay and the British diversion at uh, at uh, that other place, Gulf of Saros. So were uh, complex. Yeah, not only were there a a number of landings, they they weren't sort of close enough to mutually support each other either, were they? Now Collins. the the the, uh, the Allies also believed that they were opposed at Hellas by a full division of Turkish troops. And indeed, continued to believe that throughout the landings and for the duration of the yeah, campaign. Yeah, they never realised that when they actually landed, uh, that, that, that there was only well, it was one battalion plus a platoon, I think it is. So, uh, uh, so they, what they thought? What, they, what did rough, they think? Well, they thought it was roughly uh, a battle between equal forces, didn't they? And the Turks, of course, would be in defence works, uh, such as they were. Uh, so the, 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 the British are going to have to overcome all odds. Uh, yeah. Now, consider for a moment the nature of one Major General Sir Aylmer Hunter Weston's address to his troops on the eve of battle. And you're going to tell us what Major General Aylmer Hunter Weston, who was uh, at HU 29th Division, says. Ah, the eyes of the world are upon us, and your deeds will live in history. 
to us now is given an opportunity of avenging our friends and relatives who have fallen in France and Flanders. Our comrades there willingly gave their lives in thousands and tens of thousands for our king and country. And by their glorious courage and dogged tenacity, they defeated the invaders and broke the German offensive. We also must be prepared to suffer hardships, privations, thirst and heavy losses by bullets, by shells, by mines, by drowning. Well, well, no one could say they hadn't been warned, could they? Well, the thing is, he's a bombastic. We, we've got, we've had a podcast on him. But he's a bombastic sod. Um, not very likable. Uh, he's probably right. He is about most things uh, in that way. Although uh, he had changed his mind about the chances of success, and he he had been very opposed to begin with. Yeah, he said we'd end up like a cow stuck up a tree after a palace, <laughs> which I think shows something else about his mind. He, He'd been a war hero. He was interesting, wasn't he? He was. Uh, unlikable, not stupid, uh, but bombastic, loud, and that, that, I mean, there's so many falsities in that. Yeah, but the uh, the truth was, see what I've done there? Yeah. The truth was that there was just over one battalion of Turkish troops guarding the Hellas Peninsula south Who of Who were those masked men? <clears throat> well, they were the 3rd Battalion, the 26th Regiment of the 9th Division. Uh, uh, and that's all that faced the 29th the Division. The whole of the 29th yeah, Division. Yeah, augmented by a very few elements of the 2nd Battalion of the 26th that's Regiment. That's that platoon I mentioned. They were above Espeach. Uh, they, at, uh, that, that's where they were. That, that, so it's just a battalion plus a platoon. Uh, no artil- no no machine guns, very little artillery support, very few, all this mines, very few feasible landmines. Uh, what did they have there? What did they have to offer in this ba- upcoming battle? Well, they had very good leadership. They were experienced, well-trained troops, uh, troops, and above all, they had their rifles. And they were very good soldiers in the defence. And you mustn't forget, they're defending their homeland. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. Now, the British overestimate of the Turkish forces, it sort of dominates the day, doesn't it? When, when they hear, I mean, what, what do I mean? What, what could they hear? What might they think? Well, when men heard the sound of their own supporting machine guns and they thought they were being flayed by Turkish machine guns in improbable numbers, uh, minor platoon or company counterattacks launched to check the British advance were imagined as thousands, thousands of screaming Turks bent on death or glory. And, and I think this, overall, it hampers the British as much as the actual Turkish. Now I want to use this word carefully because people keep on talking about British heroism. The Turkish heroes... Of the, uh, of the 26th Regiment. Uh, fabulous, 3rd 26th Regiment. Uh, now, so the main Hellas landings we've mentioned, they're going to be made at V&W beaches that, uh, with flank landings at X, S and Y beaches. Uh, if you don't know about this, we've done lots of this in, in talks about... And we'll put up a map. Oh, will we buggery? Uh, and the other thing is you can read, you could read a very good book. I uh, remember, uh, what was that book I'm thinking of? Oh, uh, Gallipoli? Yeah, they're all called Gallipoli, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean the Richard Van Emden one? Yeah, well, you, he's your favourite. Stephen Chambers, yeah. yeah. You do like that one, don't you? And, of course, you've recently been reading the official history, haven't you? Oh, from you cover love to that. cover. And you, the, but you know, beyond those, you don't think there's anything worthwhile, do you, really? Uh, no, no, I'd, well, big and bouncy. No, you're not talking about that anymore. Right, so... 
They're landing at these uh, beaches. They're going to seize the locally tactically significant uh, features. But what is the main objective on the 25th of April for the for, for the 29th Division? What must they get by the end of the day? I'm going to emphasise that. This is the first day objective. Yep. And it's uh, it's the dominating feature of Achibaba. Achibaba. Or as uh, James Thompson once referred to, Alibaba in a moment of stupidity. <laughs> Only a moment. Sadly, it was filmed, broadcast to the nation. Now, after that, the force would advance on Kilid Bahia, which is otherwise known as... The Big Bastard. Why do I call it the Big Bastard? Is it just crudity and stupidity? <laughs> you really don't want me to answer that, do you? But, no, this is because our good friend, uh, Bulent... Bulent Yorkmus. Bulent Yorkmus uh, refers to it as such. And if you see it, I think you understand why. And if, what does it do? It covers... It completely dominates the narrows. It does. You cannot see the narrows at all from Achibaba. So they're going to take Killing Bay the second day. I may, you may notice I'm laughing at the very concept. And then the third day, they would advance, the, the Navy would pass through the straits and they'd have tea and buttered crumpets in Constantinople that night. Not Istanbul. Istanbul, not Constantinople. No. Now, W Beach, known to the Turks as Teki Bay, was one of the two main landings planned for Hellas. Yeah, that's the other we mentioned, B Beach. Uh, what, what sort of landing site do you think? You've been there many times, Gary. What, what, describe it. Well, it was a promising landing site in the sense that it was a 300-yard beach. 300 metres, possibly? Yeah, with plenty of room. And it offered a direct route for a concerted advance up towards Atibaba, picking up the flanking units from X, S and Y beaches. That's the logic. Do you, do you think the Turks had noticed this was a, a good Well, they landing? probably would notice that, wouldn't they? Yeah. Well, they, they'd recognise its potential. They, they dug a ring of trenches, and we've seen ones Some that may or may not be. Some of you can still make. sort of make them out, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, on the low cliffs on either side. They're not cliffy cliffs, are they? They're mud cliffs. They are climbable, and again, even despite your noted terror of heights, you've climbed them on many occasions, whimpering pathetically on one or two occasions, but, you know, there you go. Uh, and the, the, so there's, there's cliffs on the left, cliffs on the right, and then it sort of undulates back at the thing. Very much a classic uh, bay shape. Yeah, and I'm stuck in the middle with you. Yes. Uh, now, there, there were on the... on the oh, Had the Turks... How else had they did? So they dug trenches. What else they done? Well, on the sands and in the water, more Tricky. to the point, were a series of ominous barbed wire obstacles. Yeah, and we need to make this clear. This isn't, you mustn't think of 1918 Western Front or 17 or 60. This is barbed wire fences, but they're not sort of a mass of wire, are they? No, but they, they'll still give you a nasty little scratch. Well, you can, they, they, they prevent you going forward quickly, which mm. is the point. Now, the first Lancashire Fusiliers, they've been given they the task of taking the beach before moving inland to make contact with the Royal Fusiliers to the north around Hill 141. So, so they're the ones landing at X Beach on the left. And to seize Hill 138 before establishing a link with the troops landing at V Beach. And Hill 138 is on the right. We basically. really must put a, Western a, Hill. A We will put this. a map up there, I promise. Yeah, all right. Now, the prospect of making a landing at W Beach was intimidating in the extreme, and regrettably, the ship supporting the landing at W Beach failed to get in close. Yeah, there's always this thing about X Beach where they got to within a sort of 100 yards and blasted bloody hell out of the 12 Turks who were going, ow! <laughs> uh, here they didn't, and uh, the, the, uh, the, the, they just don't get in close. Um, um, the... the, the 
the, the point is that the plan for W Beach, the, 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 the XS and Y Beach, what, what are they relying on there? Because they're terrible landing beaches. What are they relying on? Surprise. Yeah. That, that ah, nobody, nobody was expecting them. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition either. No, and surprise enabled them to succeed. Yeah. Uh, but the plan for W and V Beach, they, there's no surprise. Uh, and the bombardment, which is meant to compensate it, uh, uh, it, 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 they thought it would smash everything, didn't they? Yeah, and even if it didn't destroy the Turkish defences, it effectively removed them as a threat. So Hamilton and Hunter Wessner are probably more concerned with advancing inland away from the cover of the ship's guns than the mechanics of actually getting ashore. But... As I mentioned, the bombardment's a failure. Gary, why is the bombardment? Let's go through it. We've been through this before. Well, the main reason was the limited effect of naval gunfire on land targets. It's just because of the trajectory of the fire. So, well, it doesn't really matter whether they were close in or not. It would not be as effective as they wished. Well, that's good. Second reason, Gary. God, it's all, this is all down to you this time. Go on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Well, the ships are unable to see their targets clearly. The bombarding ships anchored too far ah, away. So they were too far away. Thus, it was clearly difficult to identify individual targets within the narrow confines of the beaches and ensure that they were sufficiently well shelled. So, but difficult to pick out targets. Uh, think trenches Are trenches very visible from the sea? On top no. of cliffs? I mean, sometimes they're not very visible, as you rightly say, they're from the beach. Right. Now, in addition, once the bombardment began, it created a thick cloud of smoke and dust around the beaches, which increased in uh, opacity or opacity. Is that not see-throughableness? No. Once the uh, the rising sun started to shine through it and eventually rendered accurate shooting impossible. Oh, I, I bagsy another one. The, the, the other fact was that they deliberately lifted the fire from the beaches to the plateau of land just behind it uh, quite a bit before the actual boats landing got ashore. So just as they needed it most. Now, during the initial heavy bombardment, the frontline Turkish troops had withdrawn from their positions. Uh, once it stopped, what do you think they did? they come back they simply return to their trenches and that's the forerunner of the tactic repeated on the 1st of July 1916 at the start of the Battle of the Somme with exactly the same result yeah they were down in their dugouts they popped out when it stopped <coughs> excuse me now uh, so uh, now how they come in ashore they come in ashore uh, there's no River Clyde here as at B Beach they come in ashore in strings of boats towed in from the fir- in the first case by uh, uh, little steam boats and then after that the Penis. Pick the, yeah, pickety boats. Pinnace, isn't it? Pinnace, whatever. It's the steamy boats anyway. And and then when they get close, they're going to be rowed in by jack tars because sailors can't row. Sailors, sailors can, can row. row. Soldiers, soldiers can't, can't row. row. Stupid Pete. And so, this, uh, this is um, Brigadier well, General Stuart Hare. So where, what's this? Uh, they, they come in at six o'clock, the toes, they're approaching the beaches, oh, yeah? I was, I was a bit premature. You've gone off too early again, Gary. And uh, the 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 Turkey they're, they're approaching, and it's clear that, that the shell, that the trenches and the barbed are still there. So what does now? This chap's got a funny spell, spelling name. He must be Scottish or some other weird nationality. Uh, what what are you going to be called? Brigadier General Stuart Hare of eighty uh, sixth Brigade, uh, and that's the uh, the landing force all, all around. Uh, they are the covering landing. Yeah, there's another brigade coming behind them. How do you spell Stuart? Do you call S T E U A R T. But he's a brigadier general. Oh, 
So he spells it how he likes. Yeah. The morning was dead calm and clear, but a bad light for us looking towards our landing places as the sun was about to rise right behind it. The bombardment had begun punctually at 5am, but it did not have anything like the visible effect I had expected. I had expected to see the whole end of the peninsula and especially the surroundings of the beaches, one cloud of dust and smoke. As the long semicircle of toes steamed in towards the shore, all was perfectly still except for the booming of the ship's guns. Not a sign of life on shore and no one in the boats uttering a sound. Our toes from the implacable, cutting just behind the toes from the Euralius with the rest of the battalion. The enemy at our beach never made a sign till the leading boats were close to the beach, 50 yards or so, then they fairly let rip. Now, when you go there, you and I can both, we've stood on that beach. You can look, you can work out 50 yards. And so that's not far away to hit a boat with 32 people in it and the rowers. Oh, wow. Sometimes you get shivers running down the spine when you think of what happened there. And they're up on the cliffs firing down at their boats. Wow. Now, uh, in those boats is, uh, is me playing Laparta, midshipman. Young. Yeah, and no, I'm not doing a silly voice because the people are getting killed. Midshipman Hugh Tate. Now, he's standing on the far left-hand side uh, uh, of the beach to the Turks. It would be the right-hand side, Gary. That's one of the mysteries of life to me. Uh, and he, said, he, he was a midshipman on HMS Implacable. He said this, The blast from the 12-pounder guns over our heads was most unpleasant. That's the, the blast of the guns on the Implacable. As, uh, as were the bullets, which were now coming all down, all around like little wasps. The whole peninsula was a mass of bursting shell and flame. According to plan, the picket boat slipped us. That's that's what you said, isn't it? That's exactly what you said it was called. And we landed our little load. I was on the extreme left and found a sandy patch and got right in. Third boat ashore. Nearly all the rest ran onto a reef about 20 yards out and the troops had to jump overboard and swim. As we touched land, one of, the, one of our 12-pounder shells hit the clough just overhead and filled the boat with earth. Now, you can picture just this where this is. That's where the remnant of the, 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 the rocky things and, the, the well, later in the, 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 the war, the pier were. Wow, can you picture it? Now, on the right was midshipman Alfred Williams, Royal Navy, in command of the Euralius's steam pinnace. How come you get implacable and I get Euralius? I did once see a, a disastrous misprint, which was a Uranus. <laughs> Only needs one letter wrong. Now, that was the slowest boat in the line and was sailing east at top speed. And this is what midshipman Alfred Williams of HMS Euralius says. As we got close in, I looked down and found to my consternation rocks underneath me. No sound at all. It continued like that for a few moments, and when I slipped my toe, I waved them onto the left towards where the rocks ended and sand began, and got out of it myself as quick as I could. The idea of running aground hard on rocks did not appeal to me at that moment, and I only avoided that fate narrowly. Several bullets struck the boat and one or two hit the shield behind which the coxswain and I were standing. I think the bulk of the rifle fire was concentrated on the lifeboats rather than on the steamboats. And as far as I remember it, there were certainly some casualties before the boats grounded. Yeah, he's because of course he's in a pinnace. Uh, uh, and that's interesting boat. that he, he actually refers to the rifle fire there rather yeah. than, you know. So he's, he's getting it right now. He is. Now, they have to get the troops ashore as quickly as possible, don't they? And this is what leading seaman Gilligan, he's in charge of one of the boats from HMS Euralius. 
I'll have trouble with that as well, Gary. Uh, and he, Gilligan says this. I told the men to lie down at the bottom of the boat, leaving myself and six oarsmen exposed to the enemy's fire. I then ordered them to all jump out and get under cover as quickly as they could. As soon as we touched the beach, we could see wire entanglements. The fire was terrible, just like a hailstorm. I jumped out of the stern up to my arms in water and pushed the boat in. The sergeant jumped in front of me and got mortally wounded. The cries of the wounded were terrible. My, by now, the Lancashire's were ashore. We came up for more men, and one man was killed in my crew. He was shot in the ear and was quite dead when I picked him up. So he means shot through the ear, doesn't he? Yeah. Terrible. Right, what happens next? Well, the nature of the Turkish response is uh, somewhat controversial and has been exaggerated. Yeah. Now, with all great respect due to the Lancashire Fusiliers who were lying out in the open along the beach and exposed to a uh, withering fire. You don't want to say coruscating. No, I don't. <laughs> there were almost certainly no Turkish machine guns covering the landing at W Beach. Yeah, a lot of history. I mean, there were claims from the survivors that they heard them, but they were probably hearing the machine gun fire from their own pinnaces. Um, and and the, the evidence against them is convincing. The Turkish defences at WH were 12th Company of the 3rd 26th Regiment, uh, who also had detachments on Hill 114 and Hill 118. It's amazing. 138, Hill 138. Sorry, yeah. And this, so how many, that work it out, 250 in a company, so how many round W Beach? Well, it left around 100 to 150 Turkish riflemen ready, willing, and more than able to pour concentrated, well-drilled rapid fire into the Lancashire Fusiliers, trapped, huddled in their boats or lying along the beach, penned down by that barbed wire. So what we're saying is there weren't machine guns, but they were under a torrent of fire. 100, 150 men firing as fast as they could at an easy target. Yeah, and that was certainly real, wasn't it? It was really real. And we know from Turkish order of battle, there weren't machine guns there. Furthermore, if there were, they'd have been captured and they weren't. Uh, also, that there is internal evidence within the quotes. Uh, we'll come to one of them uh, uh, now. But let's let's hear from. Well, he's a real hero. One of the people who eventually gets a VC in somewhat controversial circumstances. But that's not saying he's not an incredibly brave man. You're you're going to be Captain Richard Willis of the Lancashire Views days. What does he say? The stroke oar of my boat fell forward to the angry astonishment of his mates. The signal for the massacre had been given. Rapid fire, machine guns and deadly accurate sniping opened from the cliffs above, and soon the casualties, including the rest of the crew and many men. The timing of the ambush was perfect. We were completely exposed and helpless in our slow-moving boats, just target practice for the concealed Turks, and within a few minutes only half of the 30 men in my boat were left alive. <coughs> Again, if you turn a machine gun on a boat with 32 men on, it would kill them all in seconds. Uh, now, the Lancashire Fusiliers, they stayed in their boats as long as they could. Who wants to get in the... They're between the devil and the deep blue sea. They just have to get in the water and make for the beach. And it's not an inviting prospect. And this is what Captain Harold Clayton says. They they let... they let He's, in a, he's slightly fortunate, he is. They let us off a lot, thank God, as they did not fire until the boats began to ground. So it's slightly... I want to make it clear there's different versions... Well, some say they open fire 50 yards off, some, but that is very similar, isn't it? Uh, and the rifles and machine guns poured into us as we got out of the boats and made for the sandy shore. There was tremendously strong barbed wire where my boat landed. Men were being hit in the boats, and as they splashed ashore, I got up to my waist in water, tripped over a rock and went under. Got up, 
made for the shore and laid down by the barbed wire. Wow. Now at this point, we'll take a short break. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now that gallant rush stumbling through the waves, hampered by the unseen obstacles, then up onto the beach was a terrible ordeal by fire. Some, like Major Harold Shaw, were lucky. And you're going to tell us what Major Harold Shaw of the First Lancashire Fusiliers said. As soon as I felt the boat touch, I dashed over the side into three feet of water and rushed for the barbed wire entanglement on the beach. It must have been only three feet high or so and three bays because I got over it amidst a perfect storm of lead and made for cover. Sand dunes on the other side and got good cover. Again, can you imagine where no, this is? I, it, it's, it's a real, real, real brave act under fire. Yeah. Awful. Now, most of his comrades, they're, they're, they're trapped uh, because they're, they're between the, the sea uh, 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 and the wire. There's just a, a short bit of open sand, and they're just lying there. And again, I'll put the picture of when the Essex land. You can see him, the corpses lying there. Uh, there's, this is, and we're not saying they weren't in the heavy fire. Major Richard Willis says this. As ordered, the men ran up to the wire and lay down, waiting for the wire cutters to get to work. Fatal to many was that order for Maxims began to, to play on the serried ranks, an easy target. Under cover of the cliff, we started cleaning our rifles, which were useless from sand and water, and it would have amused you to see men cleaning their bolts with toothbrushes with Hell's Tornado all around. I shot a sniper who was picking people off from the cliff edge. It was a good shot, and I saw him after we got up, hitting the mouth. Now, that's a, an evocative quote again. But I, I just wanted to we'll make the point again, just one machine gun, then few of them would have survived. Uh, and uh, do you know what? If you're under concentrated machine gun fire, you don't have the time, inclination, or indeed ability to locate and dispose of an individual sniper, as, as, as Richard Willis did. Um, uh, so what, whatever the truth of the matter, and we're not being overly dogmatic. We are being a bit, I'm being a bit dogmatic about it. Uh, the lines of corpses that we see in photos uh, illustrate the terrible fire they were under. There's no need to exaggerate that. Uh, hell's tornado <clears throat> it would have been if you were in it that, that that you know the details differ but the outcome remains the same uh, what does major george adams also first lancashire say several of my company were with me under the wire one of my subalterns was killed next to me and also the wire cutter who was lying the other side of me 
I seized his cutter and cut a small lane myself through which a few of us broke and lined up under the only available cover procurable, a small sand ridge covered with blots of grass. I then ordered fire to be opened on the crests, but owing to submersion in the water and dragging rifles through the sand, the breach mechanism was clogged, thereby rendering the rifles ineffective. Now, a lot of people... uh well, one of them's Captain Harold Clayton, who I'm going to give a quote for. They, they, they found that the wire cutters were useless. And this is the thing about the barbed wire the Turkish were using. It was mostly the men couldn't cut it with their wire cut, cutters. And and it, it and what the thing is, they try and get through the game. Cut to ribbons by the barbed wire, tearing uniforms, tearing flesh. Uh, but it's better than just lying in a line waiting for bullets. And this is what Ca- Captain uh, Harold Clayton Lancashire says. There was a man there before me shouting for wire cutters. I got mine out but could not make the slightest impression. The front of the wire by now was a thick mass of men, the majority of whom never moved again. The trenches on the right raked us and and those above us raked our right while trenches and machine guns fired straight down the valley. The noise was ghastly and the sights horrible. I eventually crawled through the wire with great difficulty as my pack kept catching on the wire and got under a small mound which actually gave us protection. The weight of our packs tired us so that we could only gasp for breath. Wow. Now we've we've seen these sandwiches. I know there's been, we later changed the geography of the when we make it a core headquarters and supply dump. But you can see the low ma- the low sand dunes, can't you? You can. And as they gathered behind them, they looked around almost for the first time to try and find out what was happening. It was clearly a terrifying scene. Yeah, when people say, a nitpick about details in these quotes, can you imagine try, the, the stress they're under and how difficult it is to remember exact details? that we want 110 years later. And once more, you're going to tell us what Major Harold Shaw saw. On the, on the right of me, on the cliff, was a line of Turks in a trench taking pot shots at us. Uh, ditto to the left. I looked back. There was one soldier between me and the wire and a whole line in a row on the edge of the sands. <clears throat> the sea behind them was absolutely crimson. And you could hear the groans through the rattle of musketry. A few were firing. I signalled to them to advance. I shouted to the shouted to the, to the soldier behind me to signal, but he shouted back, "I am shot through the chest." I then perceived they were all hit. I took a rifle from one of the men with me and started in at the men on the cliff on my right, but could only fire slowly as I had to get the bolt open with my foot. It was clogged with sand. About this time, Monsell was shot dead next to me. Our men now began to scale the cliffs from the boats on the outer flanks. Now, this is this is a key point, because this is a dreadful fight. Is it going on for hours and hours and hours? No, 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 it was soon over. As Brigadier General Stuart Hare approached with his headquarters amidst the second wave, despite all the confusion, he managed to sum up the situation at a glance, and he ordered his boat to land just around the corner to the west of the beach. That's round to the left. Left-hand side, and you—we've been there, and this is where actually I've taken you. Sorry, it's usually euphemism up the cliffs. You have now. The Turkish defences were so thin that they couldn't afford the men to cover that avenue of approach, and it offered an obvious opportunity to outflank the trenches, which were overlooking the beach itself. So this is the account you're going to give us from Brigadier General Stuart Hare himself, headquarters, age six brigade. We started scrambling up the cliff, which was a steep earth slope with layers of rock here and there. It was not very steep, but was difficult for a man in full kit to climb. 
there were no Turks on the front edge of the cliff, so we were defilated uh, def- from the front. But uh, we're getting... he means, I don't know what he means by that, but he means protected. Anyway, there was no one there, so they couldn't be shot out from the front. But we're getting it pretty hot from the trenches on the east side of the mouth of the glen, which formed the beach. When we got to the top, we could see that the Lancashire Fusiliers were shoving on straight to their front up the glen, but must have been losing frightfully from fire from the trenches on both sides. When we got to the top of the cliff, we found an empty trench at the very edge. The occupants must have been shot out of it by the bombardment. We collected about a dozen fusiliers there and an officer, about all who had reached the top, and sent them off to charge a trench which was only about 50 yards off, not facing us, but flanking the glen leading up from the beach. Now, this, so they came up where the, uh, the, the, the later in the campaign reservoirs are. Can you picture where they came up? And the, the trench, we're not saying it's the actual trench, on the edge of the cliff. No, but, but there is one there. There is one there. It may have been eroded and fallen into the sea, and this is another one behind it. But it, it gives you the picture, doesn't it? It's fantastic. Uh, how's Hare doing, do you think? He's a Brigadier General. Well, he's, he's done a brilliant job. He's seized the moment, and he's using his experience to make a real difference to the course of the battle. And that's the thing, that the, the modern army thing, men making a difference, an individual making a difference. Uh, then it all goes wrong, doesn't it? Well, he then gets rather carried away and he begins acting as a junior officer, pushing forward at the sharp end rather than as the brigadier general who was ultimately in charge and responsible for the whole of the covering force. Yeah. I think no need for harsh criticism. It's a, it's a, it's, his intentions were admirable, but the result is also predictable as he He's basically acting as a, a subaltern, isn't he? And this is uh, what Brigadier General Stuart Hare said. I could hear no firing coming from X Beach, and concluding that the Royal Fusiliers had landed without opposition, I thought I would try and work round to meet them and bring them up to make a flank attack on the people who were opposing the Lancashire Fusiliers. The latter had made a certain amount of progress. It was wonderful that they made any, but I did not think they could possibly get far unsupported. I started with Franklin and two signallers, and we were just above the top of the cliff, not far from Cape, uh, from Cape Teke, when we found ourselves within about a 100 yards of a trench full of Turks. We started to drop over the top of the cliff as they opened fire. I felt a tremendous blow on my calf and just got over the edge of the cliff when I sat down. Franklin and the signallers put on three field dressings without at all stopping the bleeding. If the Turks had had the enterprise to come out of their trench and look for us, they could have bagged the lot. Yeah, this is a bit stupid. You know, Franklin, uh, Major Thomas Franklin, he's a senior staff officer. So it, this is, it, it, they shouldn't have been doing this. Um, now, well, what does he say then? So he's wounded, he's been shot, he's badly, badly, badly wounded. Yeah, and, and his campaign's over almost before it started. He, he actually left Major Thomas Franklin and his signalers and started to make his way back to the beach. And this is what Brigadier General Stuart Hare said. I scrambled along the best I could and got about halfway back when I was met by a farmer who said a stretcher was just coming. I was very glad of it as I had been feeling pretty lonely. There had been shooting going on just above me, and one time the signalers had come back and told me they had been stopped by snipers. They had managed to get a message through. The stretcher bearers turned up and put iodine onto the wound and tied me up again. Now, meanwhile, the, the, the Lancashire fusiliers had begun to move forward. The point is that once the, 
the, the cliff was taken on the left-hand side of the beach, that cracks it open, doesn't it? it uh, uh, and and they, they've got to get forward. Um, uh, and uh, so, so what happens? So they, 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 they know they have to get 114 on the left. That's near where the Royal Fusion are. That's where Stuart Hare was wounded. And they've also got to get Hill 138, later called Hunter Western Hill, on the right. So what do they do? The first movement off the beach, the men on the left. Yeah, uh, and they managed to force their way over the wire and up the cliffs where they joined up with uh, Hare's party. Yeah. Now, they'd eventually link up with the Royal Fusiliers who'd landed further along the coast at X Beach. Now, on the other side of the beach, the cliffs are steeper, it's fair to say, uh, and they'd also by this time been assaulted because if you take one side of a, of a, a bay, then obviously you can shoot across to the other side uh, and it's only 300 yards. So, uh, and there's not many of them. So it's like you, it's like you crack an egg. It's broken and the defences were broken. And, and when they reached the summit, the Turks withdrew as they had done on the left, leaving the Lancashires to occupy the trenches on top of that side of the valley as well. Valley, beach, whatever, yeah. Um, now, the, the, the... Bay. Bay, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Sausagey. Yeah. Now, the seizure of the right summit then enabled the men in the centre to start moving southeast over the head of the beach towards the left flank of Hill 138. That's across what would be the airfield uh, later in the campaign. Sorry about that, I mentioned. Now, so how far do they get? Well, by 07.30, a tentative line had been established around the perimeter of the beach. So just around. So remember, we're, catching, we're going to capture Archie Barber by nightfall. How are we doing? Oh, we're doing fantastically well, aren't we, really? Now, Major Thomas Franklin... That's who had left Hare to wait for the stretcher bearers. Uh, and another staff officer, Captain Miner's farmer. He's the one mentioned in the quotes, yeah. They returned to the beach to help push on the attack towards Hill 138 and established brigade headquarters, as arranged before the landing, in the ruined lighthouse immediately above Cape Palace. So they Palace. picked that as the ideal spot, because it's between V and W Beach. I've taken you there as well. You have. Take me up the lighthouse. Tell me that you love me. Uh, but it's, uh, if you remember, the new lighthouse, but we saw where yes, the you old... you can see the remains of the yeah, old one, yeah. Now, it's great. Isn't it fabulous to be able to see these things? I think it is, and I think that's, that is that is a difference between Gallipoli and the Western Front. You know, th- there are things still there. It's amazing. It is just the most amazing place to visit. Now, uh, so... Uh, um, they gather together the men who climb the cliffs on the right, and they 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 lead them around the cliffs where we've walked, by the way, uh, when we're walking to W Beach from, uh, and they extend their position, but they meet at what they describe as a thick barbed wire entanglement. I don't think it was that thick, but the point was because there's much there's much barbed wire in Turkey at that time. But what happens when they try and cut their way through it? Well, there's a storm of fire brought down on them. Now. By 8 o'clock, the Lancashire Fusiliers have made a complete line round W Beach, but they can't get any further. And uh, at 8.30, Thomas Franklin's killed as well. Uh, so that, there goes the chief, uh, chief of staff of the brigade uh, while he's trying to get across to establish contact with V Beach. Uh, what does that mean? Well, it's another very capable officer that 86 Brigade's been deprived of. Yeah. Um, I, I think... Uh, we shouldn't un- underestimate the achievement, given the difficulties. Well, I know they're only guarded by a company, but it was a terrible place to land. Uh, and, and it isn't achieved. They've done well. They had. But- I mean, it, just just for a moment, listen to the losses. They'd incurred a, a, a total casualties that included 11 officers and 350 men from the landing alone. 
Now, so they need reinforcement. So who did they get? Well, first of them to come ashore is the 1st Essex Regiment of the 88th Brigade. That's the follow-up brigade. Uh, they'd been divert- they meant to land at V Beach. That's, that's going even worse. And they land at W Beach and begin to come ashore at 8.30. And that's where the famous photograph is of them landing, where you can see the bodies of the Lancashire Fusiliers. They threw themselves into the attack on Hill 138. That's uh, on the right. And they're held back. Uh, and do you know what? W Beach, is it secure? Is it? Is it? Well, the simple answer is no. And uh, once more, you're going to tell us what Midshipman Hugh Tate of HMS Implacable said. Over a 100 dead were on the beach alone, while the sand was all stained red. A derelict cutter full of dead and waterlogged formed a basis for a temporary pier. About 50 Turks suddenly appeared overhead, fired at us, then surrendered. Four of our men found a sniper hidden in the cliff, bayoneted him and chucked him over the cliff. All his insides came out. A subaltern and three men tried to locate some other snipers who were firing at us, but each in turn gave little starts and fell down dead. One was wounded and staggered towards us, crying. And there, there's some exaggeration there. The 50 Turks, are, well, there are only 250 Turks in the whole area. Well, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, uh, I think that account makes it clear that the beach is not a safe area, is it? No. And although the Essex Regiment managed to help stabilise the line, it was soon evident that the 88th Brigade, who should have been pushing on towards Krithia and Achibaba, were actually being sucked into the fight that was properly that of the covering force of the 86th Brigade. Establishing a landing perimeter behind which they they were meant they were meant to be acting as a, 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 a force a, a, under control and command. Now that process continues when the 4th Worcestershire, Worcestershire, put the teeth in, 4th Worcestershire Regiment, also 88th Brigade, began to disembark at W Beach at around noon. That's, hang on, time's ticking by. They should be up by Carithia by then, shouldn't they? Well, they're not. They're by the beach. Uh, now, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Owen Woolley Dodd was sent from 29th Division Headquarters to try and bring order out of this chaos. He does take control. What does he do? Well, after liaising with the Navy to secure a stiff bombardment of Hill 138, (coughs) the the 88th Brigade launched a two-pronged attack, which at last managed to take the position by 1500, finally ejecting the remnants of the two Turkish platoons that had been grimly holding on. How many? How many? Two. So about 60 men. Now, there was then considerable confusion over the presence of a further redoubt on the hill of uh, Gujibaba. Now... Test for you. It's not on the maps now, is it? Where is it? Well, it's, it's because it's that's, gonna... that's where the Hellas Monument is, is literally standing. Yeah, that's right. So it's very easy to see now. Hadn't been properly on the map. It, uh, there was a lack of precision in the contour maps, which date back to the Crimean War, essentially, the French maps from then. Uh, which Now, that's got Hill 138 on, uh, but it doesn't really have Gurji Barbar on. Uh, <clears throat> how, how, what does that do? Uh, well, it was well protected by Barbar barbed wire defences, and the Turks manning Gujibaba fought heroically, and they managed to hold the Worcestershires back until about 1600. Now, even then, even then, when they take that, it's still not entirely clear, because this is one more hill. And again, you've been on that hill. Tell me what else is in the way. Well, they come under fire from the Turkish stronghold around the old castle on Hill 141. Uh, nowadays, that's where Doughty Wiley's grave is, at the back of Sadil Bir village. We it's also a dominating feature, though. It's, it's, the, it's Basically, it's the hill at the back of V Beach. Um, <clears throat> so what happens? It's, is it not getting late? 
Well, it is, and after some confusion over whether to push on the advance, it was apparent that night was falling, and it was all too little, too late, to change the battle on V Beach. So they don't get across to relieve or help at V Beach at all? No, and although the troops ashore outnumbered the Turks by 10 to 1, the British were paralysed into inertia by their fears of non-existent so Turkish they're, hordes. They're fearing counterattacks, big, mass counterattacks. So they're hesitant about pushing on in case they get caught. Yeah, and in addition, the men are tired and they had few senior officers left with the experience to lead them forward into battle. Oh, God. Um, I... I so what do they do? What, what what would you do? What would anybody do? They hold the positions they've got and they try and get some rest. Uh, what have they captured? Well, this is a technical term, but in fact they'd captured bugger all. Come and they were the a long way from the first day's objective of Atibaba, which was about six to seven miles inland. Now, this is the point you made right at the start. Uh, the uh, the beaches are physically separated and there was a lack of cooperation and coordination between the forces once the landings had been made. Uh, uh, yeah, so I what mean, are that, they doing? Well, it meant that, that each fought their own battle and success at one had little or no impact on the course of the day. Failure, however, impacted everywhere. So the V Beach failure is the underlying cause of disaster, but... W Beach could hardly be called a success. It was a success for some people, huh? Yes, um, the Turks. But it's a heroic story. It's an unbelievable place. It's unspoiled because it was a, a Turkish army base. Until for, the 90s, wasn't it? Yeah. For, I mean, I, I visited first in 2001. It hadn't been open long. It's unspoiled, isn't it? It is. And, you know, one of the points that we like to make is come visit it. You can see all this. You don't. You don't need a great imagination because it's there. You can actually see it. And I don't have a great imagination, although I'm imagining something now. Beer, beer, or is it Douglas Haig? Beer, beer, or is it Douglas Haig again? Oh yeah. <laughs> Cheers, Gary. Cheers, Pete. Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash PGMH. Or visit www.blahblahblahblahblah. And we'd be jolly grateful. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?